Today on the Sunshine Economy, how a Miami company is reshaping the restaurant industry. Reef Technology operates ghost kitchens, cooking food for other restaurants from parking lots. I think Reef really is changing the definition of what a restaurant is. A restaurant basically is kind of just this idea of a brand. It can be anything. I'm Tom Hudson. Today on the program, two reporters who have examined Reef Technology and its growth story. Reef Technology began as a parking lot operator growing into the largest in North America as it attracted big investors and expanding. They do a lot of other things. They, they're in parking. They, they do some package storage. Uh, but the main area of focus is this ghost kitchen. Reporters on Reef Technology coming up after the news. Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening this week and supporting public broadcasting. Reef technology may sound like some kind of marine life innovation. It isn't. But it is a unicorn, one of Miami's first unicorns. And its main business is running ghost kitchens. All right, all this may sound like some kind of apparitional myth, but it's a company valued at over $1 billion. In the parlance of startup companies, that's considered a unicorn. It's based in Miami. It began its corporate life as something more pedestrian, a parking lot operator. The company has attracted deep-pocketed investors from around the globe. It has become one of South Florida's largest employers, with over 2,400 workers with plans to hire hundreds more. And it is the largest operator of parking lots on the continent. So what is Reef Technology? There's <laughs> actually a, a very long answer to that question. This is Elliot Brown. He's a reporter for The Wall Street Journal. He's based in San Francisco, where he focuses on startups and venture capital. I think that the quickest way to put it is uh, their main area that they're focusing on is something where they get a trailer, put a kitchen in there, and then uh, cook food for something like Wendy's, uh, and then take a cut of the order when somebody orders it through Uber Eats. So uh, they're what, what they call a ghost kitchen. In 2013, the company was known as Park Jockey. It called itself a parking solutions company. It manages parking lots using mobile phone payment apps. It runs valet stands and looks for ways to put empty parking spaces to work. That's how it got into ghost kitchens. A ghost kitchen is basically a restaurant, a delivery-only restaurant. This is Joanna Fantosi. She's a senior editor with Nation's Restaurant News. That's an independent trade publication covering the food service industry. As a customer, you can order food from there uh, and sometimes even do takeout, but mostly just order delivery. But you will never see the restaurant, hence the term ghost kitchen. Joanna Fantosi and Elliot Brown have reported on Reef Technology in recent months, examining its growth and growing pains from quickly scaling up to operating over one million parking spaces to expanding to restaurant kitchens. It's a pivot Reef began before the pandemic and has taken off thanks to the demand for takeout and delivery food and the need for restaurants to keep serving diners. A lot of times you might not know um, that something is a ghost kitchen. It's sometimes hard to tell. You might even be ordering from a brand, a, a big name brand like Wendy's, like TGI Fridays, and they have ghost kitchens, and you would definitely never know. 
that you weren't ordering out of a regular restaurant. In 2019, the company had already interested investors like the Japanese conglomerate SoftBank and the investment arm of the Abu Dhabi government. It changed its name to Reef Technology. And according to a report in the South Florida Business Journal at the time, yes, it was inspired by coral reefs. The idea is that coral reefs occupy small spaces in the ocean but support a lot of marine life. It's meant as a metaphor for how reef technology sees its business model, using what it calls urban spaces as neighborhood hubs. What if a parking lot was more than a lot? Our cities were designed... This is a corporate video on Reef's website explaining its vision. A greater focus on community and the neighborhood and how we live. And then suddenly... The video reflects Reef's belief that it can, quote, connect the world to your block, end quote. It calls itself the neighborhood company, asking, What if a parking lot was more than a lot? What if it were a canvas to help restaurants thrive, to heal us when we get sick? A place to bring neighbors together. A new blueprint for our lives, for our neighborhoods. For our cities, reef more than a lot. Get it? Like more than a parking lot. The company's vision is to use the real estate it manages once reserved for cars to sit idle for other activities. Elliot Brown with the Wall Street Journal points out those other efforts haven't taken off quite like the restaurant kitchen strategy. They do a lot of other things. They, they're in parking. They, they do some package storage. Uh, but the main area of focus is this ghost kitchen. The proposition to restaurant brands is twofold. A kitchen housed in a trailer in a parking lot can be in a lot more locations than a brick-and-mortar restaurant. It reduces the real estate costs for a restaurant while increasing where it can sell food. Wendy's is an example of this. In August, the fast food giant announced a deal with Reef to open 700 Wendy's delivery kitchens in the next five years in the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom. This will grow Wendy's global footprint by 10% without its franchisees to buy or build a building. The deal made Reef the first Wendy's franchisee in the UK. The second difference in the ghost kitchen model for restaurants is staffing. A trailer kitchen does not need servers or hosts. It only needs cooks, keeping labor costs down. This is Joanna Fantosi with Nation's Restaurant News. In that situation, you don't have to own a front of the house or rent um, a front of the house, um, and you're basically sharing the kitchen space with others. And for new concepts, there may not be a need for an actual restaurant at all. Music producer and rapper DJ Khaled and Reef announced a partnership in November to open virtual restaurants. There's no restaurant for diners to walk into. It's called Another Wing. Its menu is dominated by chicken wings. They are made in Reef Technology Ghost Kitchens and then delivered to diners. The use of mobile kitchens allowed the new restaurant brand to open with 150 locations on three continents. Now we'll hear more from these two reporters about Reef Technology this hour. We invited Reef for an interview, and our invitation still stands. You're listening to The Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Stay in touch with us by sending us an email our address is sunshineeconomy at wlrnnews.org. Sunshineeconomy at wlrnnews.org. 
Each Monday, we examine the stories and hear voices of people shaping South Florida's economy. Be sure to listen for the BBC News Hour Tuesdays through Fridays at 9 a.m. to hear stories and voices from around the globe. Still to come on our program, the expansion from technology to kitchens for Miami's Reef Technology. Reef is a startup, a technology-focused startup that has gone into a very physical, operational, heavy business. That's not an easy transition to make. Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. Today we're talking with two reporters who have reported on one of the stars of Miami's burgeoning technology scene, Reef Technology. Today the company's business focuses on running ghost kitchens. Those are mobile kitchens, what the company calls vessels, set up usually in parking lots. The company also operates. Reef then licenses a restaurant brand to cook its menu in these trailers and offers the food for pickup and delivery. It wants to expand that concept beyond mobile kitchens and parking lots to places consumers can pick up online orders from retail stores and what Reef calls pop-up micro-clinics, temporary small health clinics. For instance, it has had partnerships to run mobile COVID-19 testing sites in some South Florida shopping mall parking lots. Managing parking lots was the first focus of the company when it started in 2013 and was called Park Jockey. We spoke about Reef Technology with Elliot Brown. He's a reporter for the Wall Street Journal based in San Francisco, where he reports on startups and venture capital. How do you describe the evolution of the business model of Reef Technology? They started as a parking technology company helping parking lot managers uh, you know monitor uh, who's coming in to the the gates and and working with payment stuff I think and then there was this really kind of strange moment in in 2018 when they raised an enormous amount of money uh, around a billion dollars to buy a huge number of parking lot operators in in the in North America to become the country's largest operator of parking lots. So they don't own the lots, but they operate them. Then you know, they sort of quickly moved into taking some of that space in their parking lots and saying, hey, instead of putting a car here that gets us $200 a month, we could put a kitchen here uh, that essentially is just a cheaper than a storefront for something like Wendy's. And we can get a lot more than $200 a month in rent. They're trying to use parking lot spaces and then, you know, essentially find a higher and better use for them uh, through things like temporary trailers. So um, at, at the basic level, I, I don't think it's that uh, crazy an idea, um, but uh, it's it's trying to sort of leverage this movement in, in the, the, the U.S. and the world toward more food delivery that, that really accelerated during the pandemic. It's pretty clear how a company that operates parking lots generates revenue. It puts cars into spaces. How does a company like Reef Technology now generate revenue if it's not putting cars into parking spaces? So, um, well, they do put a lot of cars still into parking spaces. <laughs> Fair enough. But that's definitely not the, uh, the, the, the you know growth part of their business. Um, so... 
it's uh, again a little complicated. They're essentially a franchisee for for something like Wendy's, um, and and Wendy's is I, I believe their biggest. Um, so, uh, but but there's other brands like Popeyes and and then a lot of local brands. So, um, th- in the same way that that someone would would build a, a Wendy's on their own, it's usually not or or a McDonald's. It's usually not McDonald's building that. It's usually some local entrepreneur who raises some money to do it, and then they pay McDonald's a fee. Um, on every order. So that's what Reef does. They pay Wendy's uh, 6% of every order that comes in and they get to keep the remaining 94%, but it's on Reef to build the kitchen, to cook the food, to hire the cook, to buy the food, um, to buy the raw ingredients um, and, you know, to shoulder any risk and and losses that that come with that. And so um, that's essentially what they're doing. And the idea is that, well, a trailer in a parking lot is going to be a lot cheaper than a large storefront on a corner that has a drive-through. So uh, it's a lot smaller. You spend a lot less time building it and uh, you start making money a lot quicker. And with, because of apps and delivery in theory, you you can do just as much business. So what are the economies of scale? Usually we think about economies (laughs) of scale about getting larger. This sounds like it's getting smaller, more nimble. How does that work? Um, yeah, so this, so that is one of the, the issues with this business. I, I, I don't know that there's um, enormous benefits to be gained from economies of scale here. I, if you have a good operational system and you buy a lot of trailers and you have a, a good way to sort of, you know, identify the best parking lots, that, then in theory, you're going to um, be saving, so you're making some extra money here and there. But, you know, the, the more burgers that people want, the, the more raw beef you have to buy, uh, the more cooks you have to hire. So um, it, it is not a business that that uh, is like software where uh, you, you just sell it uh, for profit sort of after the every after the first few users. How does Reef Technology deal with just the basic operating needs, given that it doesn't it's not putting a shovel in the ground with these restaurants. It's a trailer. So how does it deal with electricity, uh, uh, propane or natural gas for the stoves, water, heat, uh, air conditioning, for instance, here in South Florida? I guess at the macro level, what's happened is, you know, Reef is a, is a startup, a technology-focused startup that that has gone into a very physical, operational, heavy business. Right. And we often see this a lot where, that's not an easy transition to make. And it can become kind of chaotic to extremely chaotic when, when startups try to go into this. So um, Reef, I'd say, is, is more on the the uh, very chaotic than the not very chaotic end of things. All those things have been a challenge. So you don't just go into a parking lot and find a plug to, to power your trailer. So you, you have to contract with the local electricity company. And that, that costs tens of thousands of dollars often every, every time you have to do that. There's not a gas line hookup, so you have to have somebody delivering propane. A lot of cities only allow so much propane at once, so you have to sometimes have someone dropping off propane multiple times a day. That's very expensive. A lot of cities require that that these trailers get towed every day to a central commissary so they can be checked for safety. Reef will have to spend hundreds of dollars per day uh, per trailer doing that, which sometimes eats up all the money that they took up uh, ju- just from orders. To say it's been an operational challenge is a real understatement. So those are some of the asset heavy challenges. Uh, what about the challenges of just running a restaurant. 
you know, labor is in such tight supply across the United States, including here in South Florida, which has been, you know, dominated by hospitality workers for a good long time. About 10% of the workforce work in hotels and restaurants. Most of those are in restaurants. And those jobs, you know, bottomed out in the early weeks of the pandemic and have come roaring back. Yeah. So a lot of startups, when they're trying to compete with sort of big incumbent businesses, one of their their main innovations is cheaper labor. You know, like Uber figured they could do independent contractors, which is cheaper than hourly drivers. And so they undercut uh, other forms of transportation. Uh, with with Reef, uh, it's been the opposite. So they, because they're they're growing so fast and because of the labor shortage, they, they've had to pay a huge amount of money. So so a lot of these people are actually quite well paid as far as line chefs go. So, so Reef is paying minimum $20 an hour across the country uh, because uh, there's, like you said, huge demand for people in this line of work and, and not a great supply of them. And so Reef really needs people to fill these kitchens. So, so they kind of stepped up wages to, to do that. And they're finding the supply of workers. I mean, of, uh, uh, enough. Uh, so, but but again, you know, if they were paying, like, it's it's hurting their finances. So uh, anything works at a price. But um, and I'm sure it's still a challenge for them to find find workers. But twenty dollars an hour, if, if if you're trying to compete in, in the extremely competitive fast food space, is is not a very good wage if you're if you're the the if you're trying to make a profit. If you're the operator. Right. If you're, you know, Reef is nowhere close to making profits, but um, that is one of the reasons. That was Wall Street Journal startup and venture capital reporter Elliot Brown. We will hear more from him about the Miami-based Reef technology a little later in this program. We did invite Reef technology for an interview, and our invitation still stands. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Be sure to check out our podcast by searching Sunshine Economy on your favorite podcast app. Please leave a review and hit subscribe. Listen to the 9 a.m. hour Tuesday through Friday here on WLRN for the BBC News Hour. Still to come, some of the growing pains when a new way of doing business falls between government regulations. They're growing bigger than local governments can keep up with, and we know that local government usually works pretty slowly. So. <laughs> I'm Tom Hudson. You are listening to The Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Your next carryout or delivery restaurant order may not come from the restaurant you're ordering from. It may be cooked in a ghost kitchen operated by Reef Technology. That's a company valued at more than $1 billion based in Miami. It licenses dozens of restaurant brands to prepare their menus and trailers outfitted with kitchens and parked in parking lots. It's a business model the company started before the pandemic. Then the first shutdown of in-restaurant dining came, and now the ability to serve customers well beyond the physical location of a restaurant has amplified Reef's business and brought it into some conflict with traditional local food and health regulations. Joanna Fantosi is a senior editor with Nations Restaurant News, an independent trade publication covering the food service industry. Reef technology is super interesting. We've been following them for a little while. They're formerly known as Park Jockey. They're originally a parking facilities company. 
Over the past couple of years, they've really rapidly expanded to become one of the most powerful ghost kitchen technology companies out there. They basically operate uh, in two different ways. Some of their operations are out of traditional commissary kitchens or out of the backs of restaurant kitchens, and they have hundreds of what they call these vessels. That's their name for it, but it's essentially a trailer or like, like picture a larger food truck with kitchens inside. And basically they can go anywhere and they've parked these vessels in their parking facilities that they own and fulfill delivery orders from there. With this kind of model, where does Reef fall in terms of food and health regulations in the cities in which it operates? That's what's been kind of controversial with them, and they've had their their, uh, toes held to the fire a bit recently. Over the past couple of months, um, multiple news outlets have reported, including including us, including NRN, has reported on reef vessels being flagged for health violations, mostly for not having the proper permits, although there are other issues as well. For example, in November in New York, Reef suspended all operations of its vessel kitchens, while basically scrambled to get the correct health permits because they had been operating under temporary permits. And that's where this is sort of confusing because as far as we know, there really is no health permit right now um, in any city that is specifically for these vessels because, you know, Reef basically made them up. Um, So they're not quite restaurants. They're not quite food trucks. And since they're kind of in between, Reef had been obtaining temporary licenses, temporary permits, and then working working with the cities to obtain more permanent permits. We should point out the city of Miami recently passed an ordinance uh, last spring allowing for a pilot program for what are called MOUs, these uh, virtual kitchen mobile operating units. It reminds me a little bit, Joanna, of the early days of Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, where the business model had jumped ahead of where regulators were regulating, essentially. Absolutely. Reef had told us recently that they are working with Miami um, in sort of this, it's almost a pilot program, right? Mm -hmm. Because obviously licensing is on a location by location basis. um, And to create this special licensing, since they're not quite a restaurant, not quite a food truck, and to work with them on that. I, I think that it's, I sort of call it growing pains. Yeah. I think that they expanded, think about a couple of years ago, they really were just this park jockey and they were working with parking facilities. And really since the, I would say right before the pandemic um, began, so a couple of years ago, they rapidly expanded. And so it's just, they're growing bigger than local governments can keep up with. And we know that local government usually works pretty slowly. So yeah. How has Reef answered some of these calls for regulation? it's a little bit tough for them because they basically have to work on a city by city basis. I think that working with my, the city of Miami is really helping them. They didn't really give us, unfortunately, too, too much information on this, but I think that they will basically figure it out over time. We spoke with one former reef employee who operated these vessels and who said that his location was uh, ended up being closed down uh, because when inspectors came by looking for proper documentation of his kitchen, he had no idea what to do or what to say and said management had never told him how to handle it. So I think that they're kind of realizing that, you know, operating, opening thousands of these 
kitchens and announcing a new brand, restaurant brand partnership practically every other day uh, will mean that it's, that's a lot to catch up with. Does the lack of local regulations in many of these areas threaten its growth? That's an interesting question. You know, I don't necessarily think so. I think that they that Reef really honestly does want to work with local authorities. And there are regulations, um, but obviously it's just different on a city by city basis. And I think it's really one of those things that it's a TBD situation. Only time will tell what will happen in the future and if they will be able to get all these uh, inspections back on track. We've seen um, some problems in uh, Detroit, Houston, Philadelphia, New York, and uh, also out west uh, in San Francisco and LA. There have been a few uh, a few issues, but the issue is also twofold. It's not necessarily just licensing and permitting. Um, we did some research and we saw that a lot of these health violations, health department violations, were not just due to having a temporary license and not a permanent license, but also due to improper food handling and not having the right training. For example, uh, media outlets reported on a couple of these vessels, their water pipes freezing and uh, making the vessels run out of water. And you basically had to use like Dasani water bottles instead to cook with and sanitize. So definitely a lot of growing pains there. I found it interesting in your reporting on Reef late last year, uh, a Reef executive told you that the company does not see itself as a disruptor, but yet those ghost kitchens really fall between the current food and health regulations. As you mentioned, not a restaurant, not a food truck, something else. It is disrupting the food regulation and restaurant industry, isn't it? Yes, I definitely uh, disagree with them on there. I thought it was because the headline of my story uh, that you're referring to did did say that they are a major disruptor. And then it was kind of amusing that the um, chief creative officer that I interviewed with uh, Alan Phillips did say, yes, we don't see ourselves as disruptors. Really, what I think they mean is, uh, in the context, is that they're not really doing anything necessarily new culinary-wise because they're partnering with brands that already exist. So they're basically just helping these brands just reach new customers and be in places that they wouldn't normally be in. Even for major national brands, like some of their biggest brands that they work with, Wendy's and TGI Fridays, which are obviously pretty much everywhere, but being able to kind of allow it so that they they expand their network of where these brands are. And they basically just think of themselves as a new platform. So maybe not disrupting consumer tastes or recipes or menus, not innovating on the culinary side, but innovating on the delivery side. Yes. Speaking with senior editor at Nation's Restaurant News, Joanna Fantosi, we will have more of our conversation with her about how the reef technology model fits into the restaurant industry. That's coming up a little bit later on in the program. Be sure to stay in touch with us on social media. Send us a message on Twitter or Instagram. Look for us. We are at WLRN. Catch the BBC NewsHour Tuesdays through Fridays at 9 a.m. here on WLRN. Still to come on this program, the big bucks behind Reef Technology and the big expectations. If you're a 
tech investor and you're putting money into this, your expectation is this is going to grow really, really fast. And it's just going to be one of the biggest companies, you know, emerging companies on the country. Now, how can you get tech-like returns on restaurants? Uh, and that's still an open question. <laughs> This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening and supporting public radio. South Florida is well-known for its vibrant entrepreneurial business culture. Statewide, Florida is a magnet for entrepreneurs. In 2020, more than five out of every 1,000 adults started a business here, far outpacing the national rate. Still, survival is tougher here, too. About one in four startups in 2020 didn't make it a year. Reef Technology has beaten the odds, and then some. It began in 2013 as a company managing parking lots and garages, using mobile phone payment apps, running valet stands, and looking for ways to put empty parking spaces to work. One way is by operating ghost kitchens, kitchens set up in mobile trailers that cook and sell food under the name of another restaurant. Reef has raised $1.5 billion from outside investors, including $700 million this past November. This has made Reef one of the few South Florida-based startups worth over a billion dollars. Elliot Brown covers venture capital and startups for the Wall Street Journal. He's reported on Reef Technology. Reef Technology is a private company. It doesn't publicly file any of its financial disclosures. It's not required to. It's attracted over $1 billion of outside investment. Why? What's the growth story? So the the growth story is is quite compelling. I think a lot of times what happens is is investors see really fast revenue growth and then get very excited and sort of forget to to focus on the the challenges and costs that that, that create that. But but so I think the the macro level is hey the world is switching to do a lot more food delivery restaurants don't need to be paying retail rents, you know, the, the, the high rents that you pay on a, a marquee strip, uh, or even a, 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 a low key strip. Why don't we just give them a lower rent of, of a trailer and a parking lot? Um, so I think at that level, the, the investors are sort of like, Hey, why don't I find a way to hop on this trend of, of food delivery? And there must be a better way to sort of have a restaurant. Um, and so I think that's the basic level. The idea there is to cut what is one of the most significant expenses of running a restaurant, which is the real estate itself, right? Yeah, you're doing spending a lot less on real estate in theory. I mean, these each of these trailers cost something like two hundred thousand dollars per reef to buy, and then the the monthly rent is pretty low because it's just a couple spaces in a parking lot. You're also saving on you don't need a host, you, you don't need a waiter. I mean, you're all you're doing is hiring cooks. Front of the house staff is what that's called, right? right? Yeah. All you're doing is hiring cooks. And then, you know, the, the labor that you're essentially paying is Uber Eats when they come up and, and you pay them their 20% or whatever they take to and the driver then ferries it to someone's home. So I think there it's sort of there is a conceptual way to make this into a good business. The challenge has been that when you really rapidly go from uh, zero to, you know, having 300 trailers around the country doing this at once, 
uh, you find that it's really hard to run a, a restaurant profitably and, and, and sort of build the plane while, while it's landing. They've encountered a huge amount of, of challenges in sort of every aspect of the business. So what are the profit prospects? Not just the revenue prospects, but the ability to turn a profit. Yeah, I mean, right now they're they're, they're not looking good. Reef, you know, is is just at sort of the the kitchen level. Um, so, with, with, you know, if you sort of in accounting, you isolate all the costs to to each trailer. These figures are a few months old, as of September. Or so they, they were taking in twelve hundred twelve fifty dollars a day in revenue. And yet their, their average cost was $1,800. Um, so th- that's, that's before a huge amount of other costs that, that it takes to require running the business, such as you know, the people in headquarters. So losing about $600 per trailer before the SG&A, right? The sales general administration costs. Exactly. So um, yeah, just right off the bat, just solely from, from, from the kitchen. Uh, itself, you're losing money, then you have to pay sort of like the, the guy who runs the, the regional district, and you have to pay the, the people in the prep kitchen. Um, so that's not included. And then you then you aren't talking about paying the CEO, you're not pay, talking about paying for marketing and, and you know, HR. So um, it, it, that's a, a really not good number. And then you have some kitchens that only would t- were taking in, you know, a few hundred dollars a day in revenue and still would cost, you know, over $1,000 a day in expenses. The name of the company is Reef Technology. Is there technology involved here that it has some kind of proprietary stake in that investors are buying into? Um, there, there's some. Uh, that's not a big part of the business. Um, I, I think they would like it to be a bigger part of the business. Uh, and so, you know, if they raise a lot of money, I think they, because they, they're trying to raise more now, I, I think they would want to, to buy more tech companies uh, and and you know they bought some ordering software that that uh, integrates into what they do, but no, I I, I mean a, a huge big chunk of the business is is just being a a franchisees a franchisee for big brands. Uh, now I I should caution that for for something like Wendy's, it's apparently going pretty decent. Where the average number of twelve fifty a day in revenue, a lot of these Wendy's are taking in like over four thousand a day in, in revenue, and that's apparently profitable at the local level, at least for some of them. So, you know, I think that the sort of the hope is that they get a lot more things like Wendy's, and then just become a, yeah, a big franchisee around the country, and and use these parking lots to, you know, put Wendy's in places that would have been hard for Wendy's to get a, a you know, an actual building. Maybe they can make a, a relatively brisk business out of that, but I think their their long term plans that they're telling investors for how they would make a, a profitable business is to do things like delivery themselves, which is an enormous challenge that a lot of people have failed at. Um, there, there's a lot of steps between here and there. What are the investor expectations? Uh, these the deep pocketed institutional investors, banks, and others come in with tens of millions, in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars of investment. What are they expecting and what kind of timeline are they operating under? Companies like Reef that are funded, I mean, it's just this huge area of, of the economy right now that, or, you know, the emerging economy where they are all getting funded by essentially tech investors or investors who want tech-like returns. That's different than restaurant-like returns, isn't <laughs> yes. it? Yes. So, so for comparison, restaurants tend to get profit margins, you know, the, the, if you take all the money that they take in and what, what percent of that is profit. Yeah, it's, it's, I think often like 
single digits, which is not that big. It's a super competitive business. You have to have a really well-oiled machine and to make it run and sort of honed over decades. Software gets in, in the 30%, 40%, ideally 50%. And so if, if you're a tech investor and you're putting money into this, your expectation is this is going to grow really, really fast. And it's just going to be one of the biggest companies, you know, emerging companies on the country. And that's sort of what has happened with things like DoorDash. And so you want to replicate that. that that's sort of the goal here. Now, how can you get tech-like returns on restaurants, uh, and that's still an open question. <laughs> you know, uh, on the other hand, there is another ghost kitchen provider that is run by the former founder of Uber called Cloud Kitchens, and uh, they just apparently raised money at a very high valuation. So uh, even more investors there, $15 billion. So at least investors there are continuing to bet on uh, the ability of someone in this, this sector to, to do that. You know, there's at least, there continues to be interest. For investors, those who are already involved, potential investors, or even for uh, communities where Reef Technology is operating, should folks think of this as a technology company, a restaurant operator, a real estate firm? Um, I would say closer to a restaurant operator that is certainly in fast growth. I mean, the, 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 one of the things that makes investors so, you know, salivate the most is really fast growth because, uh, you know, if, if it goes well, then, then your investment does well. Um, the company actually does go up in value. Uh, Reef is growing absurdly fast. It's like over 300% last year uh, just on, in this business. That's measured by revenues? Yeah, by revenue. Um, so th that's really impressive. On the other hand, you look at what they're spending, and that also probably went up a ton. So um, <laughs> it makes it less impressive. Uh, but, but the fast growth, I think, is what the investors are betting on. Now, the, the question is, is this fast growth sustainable, or is it just sustained by all the, the money you're putting in? And is that money actually a, a good investment by sort of historic speaking and like in terms of where else you could put it? Um, and the, the jury's still out on that one. Reef Technology is in Miami. Its global headquarters is in the city of Miami. You're speaking to us, Elliot, from San Francisco, the uh, global headquarters of technology and technology investments. Is Reef's headquarters in Miami meaningful at all in the investment landscape? Um, there was a lot of talk, uh, you know, a year ago or so about um, in investors moving to Miami, and there's definitely been some of that. Uh, I don't see a, a, a notable shift. I mean, you know, the, the bulk of money still goes to Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley investors probably have a little more respect for Florida than they did and just take companies from there a little more seriously than they did two, three years ago. But I think things are still pretty myopic. This is still the capital. New York is still the second city uh, in the U.S. for, for startups. Um, so if, if there's a huge sort of meaningful reason that a company would be from Miami that, that makes it really attract uh, in, investment, I, I haven't seen it yet. You're an afternoon rain shower in the day at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> The data show Miami has come a long way in attracting technology investors, though. Over $4.5 billion of venture capital was invested in Miami tech companies last year, according to CB Insights. That's a firm that tracks private equity investments. Still, for every $1 Miami tech firms attracted last year, companies in Silicon Valley brought in 
$23. We were speaking earlier with Elliot Brown with the Wall Street Journal. We invited Reef Technology for an interview, and our invitation remains open. You're listening to The Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Each Monday, we examine stories and hear voices of people shaping South Florida's economy. Be sure to listen for the BBC News Hour Tuesdays through Fridays at 9 a.m. to hear stories and voices from around the globe. Still to come in this program, how Reef fits into the pandemic restaurant industry. I think Reef really is changing the definition of what a restaurant is. A restaurant basically is kind of just this idea of a brand. It can be anything. I'm Tom Hudson, and you are listening to The Sunshine Economy here on WLRN. Few businesses were hurt as fast and as much from the response to COVID-19 than restaurants. Tens of thousands of jobs were cut in mere weeks in the spring of 2020 in South Florida as restaurants were ordered to shut down their dining rooms and pivot to takeout and delivery only. Miami-based Reef Technology had begun moving into this business before the virus. It operated thousands of parking lots and started partnering with restaurant brands to cook their menus in trailers using empty parking spaces. It has since forged deals with the likes of Wendy's, TGI Fridays, and DJ Khaled. Joanna Fantosi is a senior editor with Nation's Restaurant News, an independent trade publication covering the food service industry. What is the competitive advantage offered by Reef? to the restaurant industry? Well, I think that really having these parking lots and having these places where they can park these facilities is really a big advantage because they don't have to worry about, oh, where are we going to put these ghost kitchens? Because most other ghost kitchens operate out of the back of, let's say, either shared commissary kitchens or out of the back of pre-existing restaurants. And so, you know, there's things like real estate, there's things like, um, you know, figuring out rent and things like that. Whereas if you just have a trailer and you park it in a parking lot that you already own, you don't have to worry about that. Ostensibly, you can uh, expand more rapidly than maybe um, some of their competitors. And so how did the pandemic fuel Reef's growth into ghost kitchens? It began into ghost kitchens before the virus started circulating. Oh, absolutely. I think that the pandemic in general just fueled uh, America's, pardon the pun, but hunger for for food for delivery. Um, Because, you know, we couldn't in in 2020, at least, and nobody really was, obviously, you couldn't go out. These restaurants were closed. And so the only way you could really reach them is through delivery. And so, uh, but a lot of restaurants, like maybe your favorite restaurant down the block um, is never really did delivery before, isn't equipped to do delivery. Um, So there was this need for more restaurants that do delivery well. Reef and other ghost kitchen companies like Kitchen United are able to fill that role. It's more than just delivery though, right? Because it's the actual making of the food items too. Yes, absolutely. Especially that I think about the other the other model, these commissary kitchens, they use kind of a, a lot of them use a hub and spoke model where mm-hmm. they might have six brands going on at once. They're obviously all different menus, but they share some ingredients. You're able mm-hmm. to, to cook and get these orders out so much more efficiently 
than a traditional restaurant who might not have the resources or facility, mobile or otherwise, to do that. How does the traditional restaurant industry think of Reef and Reef's growth? A private label vendor? A, a competitor? Commercial real estate? How does it get categorized? That's a good question. You know, I'm I'm not sure. I think that I think that really there hasn't been a label yet. Um, I think that they think of themselves as really a delivery facilitator and a platform. And I think the rest of the restaurant industry it probably um, thinks that, that that they're a great resource. Yeah, you think of Wendy's has a pretty significant footprint, has invested a lot already in its own real estate. So what does a reef technology offer a fast food giant like Wendy's that it can't do itself? Well, there are a couple of things. Before the pandemic, I would say that a lot of fast food restaurants didn't do too much delivery business. A lot of times you might go through the drive-thru, you might sit in the restaurant or you might do takeout even, mm -hmm. but I feel like you weren't kind of going on Grubhub being like, what can I order from McDonald's? Um, and that kind of, all that changed that. So by partnering with Reef or with, or with somebody like Kitchen United, whomever, you can have a separate kitchen that's just for delivery and then you don't have to kind of disrupt your regular restaurants, let's say, that are all your uh, employees are busy fulfilling drive-through orders, fulfilling uh, just regular regular takeout or, um, or dine-in orders. Um, and it kind of uh, allows you to do sort of two silos of the same thing. How does Reef sit in the competitive landscape in this kind of new field of commissary kitchens, ghost kitchens, as the startup to be able to get into that business requires maybe a little bit of real estate, a little bit of equipment, a little bit of know-how, what has allowed Reef to kind of gain the momentum that it has and attract the hundreds of millions of dollars of investment from investors? Well, that's definitely the big question for sure. But I think it really helps that they sort of got ahead of the game by having all of this real estate. Basically, they, they emphasize whenever I've spoken to them in the past, they emphasize how it's so important that they've had these parking facilities that they could just put their kitchens on. That is basically their competitive advantage. And they save a lot of money by doing that. You're deep in the weeds in the restaurant industry. What does Reef Technology present the future of the restaurant industry that it may not have had before this kind of innovation? I think Reef really is changing the definition of what a restaurant is. It's not necessarily four walls. You walk in, you sit down, you get a menu, order your food, and your food comes to you. That is the old definition of what a, of what a restaurant is. A restaurant basically is kind of just this idea of a, of a brand. It can be anything. Some of these, some of these virtual only restaurants that really only exist, they only exist online. You know, if you order from DJ Khaled's uh, Wings Place, you're never going to see what that restaurant looks like because likely it doesn't really look like anything. Um, it might look like a commissary kitchen and you're never going to walk in there, but yet you're still experiencing the food. And so I think it sort of represents a future where you know, with rising real estate prices and with labor shortages and supply chain demands and, and all of these issues that restaurants have been facing, that it represents sort of an alternative that can save restaurants a lot of money because you don't have to worry about real estate. And also 
feeds that on-demand economy, right? Um, because you know, with Amazon Prime and everything, uh, we're so used to as customers being able to order whatever we want whenever we want. Um, and I think that this this operations model that Reef and other ghost kitchen disruptors have is really feeding into that. Capital market folks in the restaurant industry that you speak with, how are they viewing Reef? I mean, are they are they surprised that it's been able to attract as much venture capital that it has as fast as it has? I don't think they're that surprised yet because I think that I think that they realize that the restaurant industry is changing so fast and we have to change with it. If a restaurant is not dialed into the technology, the the delivery capabilities that they need to, whether they're a ghost kitchen or not, then they're going to get left behind. So anything that is an operations platform that can facilitate this constant need for delivery and on-demand service is going to be a big winner. Speaking with senior editor at Nations Restaurant News, Joanna Fantosi. You can find a podcast of this program and all of our previous programs by searching Sunshine Economy on your favorite podcast app. Joe Johnson is our technical director. Polly Landis is our booking producer. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. WLRN Public Media.